Jews. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. This is Will here from our new and latest podcast, Geese, Weights, and T-Bone Steaks. <coughs> Today we have uh, my great friend and... Um, best friend. Best friend. Best friend. And co-host, Nick Mann. Hello. So, Nick... Let's give uh, the audience here a rundown of why we've chosen the Nate's name Geese Weights and T-Bone Steaks. Um, because the goal of life is to get as big and strong as possible. And the only way to do that is by lifting weights and eating T-Bone Steaks. The Gee, of course, we represents all... the ability to um, murder people with your bare hands as well. Ladies and gentlemen, Nick Mann's being too humble. He actually <laughs> has numerous Gees. <coughs> Which represents the oh, numerous styles of martial arts that he has right. mastered. That okay, is, not mastered, but you know, done. Yeah, he's uh, he, he's done he's it. Spent you know, time doing wasted he's or otherwise earned the black belts. Um, so Nick Mann, myself, and our two other former housemates, good friends, um, are all martial artists, and we used to live under the same roof, training martial arts, hence the geese, lifting weights, hence the weights. And eating a lot of protein, which incorporates T-bone steaks and also uh, turkey mints as well. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. catchy. So uh, today, tonight, ladies and gentlemen, I want to introduce yeah. uh, Nick Mann, who has accomplished four black belts in what kind of martial arts, Nick? Uh, good ones. Such as? Uh, yeah. <laughs> they're not that good. Taekwondo. Yeah. Yep. Um, Hapkido. I got my, my second day in that. Gonkwan. Gonkwan Yusul, um, one of the few things I still value, and Arnis, the Filipino weapons. Nick Man. Man is also a weapon in his own right, and now he's also <laughs> teaching a weapons course. Uh, Nick, give the audience a rundown about your new weapons and unarmed defense seminars and also instructional courses that is coming out very, very soon. Um, I'm excited to help Nick on this project. Give us a rundown of what your syllabus or curriculum is all about. Uh, well, this will mostly be following the Balintawak system for those for the layman. That's the close quarter stick fighting we use. Um, <coughs> also, some elements from Lightning Ines Scientific, which of course is a much longer range. So we cover uh, both ranges using the stick, and uh, some unarmed stuff we'll be doing as well. That I always like to mix in mm -hmm. uh, stuff from freestyle wrestling. Um, Muay Thai, boxing, all the goods, all the good stuff there. Awesome, awesome. I will look forward to uh, releasing it out to our audience here, Nick. Absolutely, absolutely. So today's topic, ladies and gentlemen, is uh, we have a few, but we're concentrating on um, the first on the agenda is yes. strength and conditioning for grappling and striking arts. Now, ladies and gentlemen, Nick is also a well-established strength and conditioning coach. Um, even in these dire times of COVID, he still has clients knocking on the door asking for his services <laughs> in particular. Um, Nick, tell us your philosophy. Who's influenced you regarding S&C, your, your evolution as a, as a strength conditioning coach in the last few years, and uh, all the books and all the resources that you've been reading? Uh, what was that first bit, the first one? Who, oh, who, who in, okay. Who's influenced Nick Mann in terms of his S&C and strength conditioning? Um, so when I was living and training uh, Hapkido in Korea, I was uh, just doing mostly bodybuilding training, uh, a bit of bro science, just five sets of 10, as many fucking angles as you can. And it wasn't until I got back to Australia and started training in uh, more combat sports like wrestling, jiu-jitsu, kickboxing, I realized that I was just a giant um, 
Michelin Marshmallow Man. <laughs> so I was training with um, the good man, Kale Costa, at Warrigal uh, Costa MMA. And I was gassing out way too quick. And he was really big on his um, caveman trainings. It's just like kettlebells, a lot of carries, sled pulls, uh, tractor tires he's really big on. All that kind of thing. So I sort of got a taste for the conditioning side of it. And it wasn't until um, after fighting that I started seeing uh, the great Efim Kibatsky, of course, popularized the kettlebell here in Australia. It was around in the early days of Iron Age. Mm-hmm. Right? Early 2000s, early ladies and gents. Um, so I started training with him, got much more into strength training, so a lot more with um, the barbell. And uh, that's been my main go-to since. Nice, nice. I and the soul, uh, on the way back, from a quick training session, we were listening to Henry Rollins, and uh, philosophically, I really and Nick also embraces the philosophy of iron and the salt. Uh, strength training as well as martial arts has been a great passion of mine myself, and uh, and Nick, man, your evolution as a strength conditioning coach, mate. Uh, who has been some of the, uh, I guess, great figures influenced your, I guess, your your all education and uh, your career in S and C. Um. Well, I really like reading stuff from Pavel Tatsulin. He's nice. good. I try reading things like Super Training by um, murder his name, uh, Verkoshansky. Verkoshansky. Uh, but that's that's a little bit dry for me. It's a little bit too scientific for me. So mm. I like Pavel. He's a bit more um, accessible. Uh, Ross and Amit. It's really good for the low tech stuff, mm-hmm. especially in these COVID times when most yep. of the training's done from home. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, I learned more of the sports science from Dr. Will Max. <laughs> oh, 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 wow. Yeah, this guy's really good, huh? Yeah. <laughs> At this um, shithole, Sage Institute, took all my money, liquefied. <laughs> they don't exist anymore, so we can say this. Don't you, worry. You got the precious gift of knowledge, Nick, man. That's that's the most important thing. No one can take that away well, from you. Well, that's priceless. That is true. Yeah. But I did have to tolerate a year of this shit. <laughs> in a classroom surrounded by fuckwit kids. Jeez. But we made it through the other side, yeah. eh, Will? Come on, Nick, man. Yeah, we did. <laughs> Other guys I okay. like to follow. Um, I like Sebastian Arab for his uh, breakdown of technique. Uh, he's one of the best in the business. Excellent powerlifting coach. Of course, uh, your former mentor, Dr. Andrew. My Lott. current mentor. <laughs> current mentor. Give give credit where credit's due. And this man has helped me uh, in the start, in the beginning of my career. Um, gave me resources, gave me sponsorships, Spot led on. me in the right Spot direction. On. To become the successful man that I am today, that even in the COVID times, I still have international clients requiring to train. Um, Best in the business when it comes to rehab and all sorts. I try to uh, use the philosophy of trying to marry rehabilitation with proper functional and scientific strength and conditioning. Um, We do focus on combat athletes, and hence the name of our podcast. Uh, Nick, speaking of combat athletes... (coughs) You have the great, um, I guess, concept and philosophy of not being too specific with your S and C in terms of movement fun- and patterns, uh, in, a, in order not to, uh, I guess you can say, compromise the integrity of movement or the motor patterns of the martial art itself. Yeah. So, what, can you explain yeah. to the uh, the audience here what you meant by that when you discussed that with me? Uh, well, we've discussed it twice so far. This being the third time. Again, forget to press fucking record. <laughs> uh, quick story, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, I'm pretty bad with technology, and I'm good with science and maths and uh, physics. But I'm told technology. But this Zoom record thing, it was, it was totally, you know, threw me over the loop. So, yeah, this is our third recording. Third recording. And we hope it's going to be the final one for this topic um, before we get um, a new host in. Sorry, we had so, a few practice runs. We did. We did. You know, they say practice makes perfect. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Um, so let's go back to what we were saying before. We were talking about oh, uh, yeah, not yeah, being yeah. too specific of the movements. That's right. Uh, more general. 
Um, <clears throat> so I think if you go too uh, too specific with movements like a boxer, for example, getting them to punch with bands or um, dumbbells is a big one. It's, it causes them to decelerate, especially in the end range of the movement, right? Because That's you want right. That I don't think you can too closely mimic your sport performance because there always is there isn't always a uh, dynamic correspondence between mm. the movement you're training to strengthen mm -hmm. and of course the movement itself. Yep. Um, so especially with boxes, I really like to build up the back a lot more because that old saying if you can't fire a cannon out of a fucking canoe so yep. build up a strong back and of course a really strong stable core is important because that's how you're going to transfer anything is um the, the great dr lock says uh proximal stability creates dissolability exactly I like to follow that uh but for the most part it's just following movement patterns so you've got uh push pull suppose vertical horizontal hinge squat the all the rest yeah and i think this is mostly can be done um most beneficially for elastic athletes like boxes and combat athletes is the kettlebell. Yeah. More so than the barbell because, you know, with the barbell itself, um, you got to have the orthopedic profile. Yeah. Say like a good back squat and you could spend years building up a good back squat and not have a good back squat. Yeah. You know, with kettlebells, it's much more accessible and um, I think the kettlebell adapts to you rather than you having to adapt to it, which is the issue with the barbell. And let's go through also, um, I was gonna, you've linked that in pretty well, Nick, the uh, the force curve demands of, of, of a combat sport. So let's talk about uh, striking, for instance, where you need to, to accelerate towards the end range, right, Nick? To, yes. to create acceleration and range of motion, which means you need to have maximum, um, say, velocity and acceleration at the end range. Whereas if you were to do boxing with a dumbbell in your hands or to, to do punch with bands and actually be negate that effect in right. which you'll start to decelerate. Whereas a kettlebell is excellent mm. because it forces acceleration and range. Right. And also forces what you call what hip extension. Right. Just like very similar to a striking movement. Yeah. Yeah. what about with um say band training? Yeah. Um so the issue with throwing like a right cross with a band is that you have deceleration towards the end and acceleration at the start, right? Yeah. So it teaches you that way because of the the, um, the application of resistance applied. Right. So what if you're working that in, uh, say, contrast with the medicine ball throw, which is where you have acceleration at the end and deceleration at the start? Could that be something that could work? It, it, it doesn't really work that way. Um, I mean, if you want to do something like contrast training where you are um, forcing, I guess, you know, a d different modality of resistance, it can be yes, but in terms of, tr in terms of retraining the, the force <coughs> curve and, I guess, the, uh, the acceleration in the movement, it, it doesn't really work that way. Mm. So, no, to answer your question, it's probably got the same thing altogether. Is more specific, any, the metaphor the more specific because it forces you to accelerate during the end range and the resistance is released as right. you go towards the end range. So you can still use the um, ball throws. Yeah, ball throws are excellent in terms of developing for development of power yeah. um, um, and I guess you can say explosiveness, especially when it comes to combat sports. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can do it by itself um, in terms of the actual program itself or you can... Um, apply contrast training where you have a heavy resistance followed by an explosive movement such as the metal, but medicine ball ball throw, for instance. Right. Um, now so going to bit too deep. like an overhead medicine ball. Does that um, transfer over? Is there a dynamic correspondence between that and punching? Overhead slam, you mean? No, no, overhead throw, like uh, almost like a push press. We're using the ball, so dipping down and throwing it directly. It it, it does teach you to. It does train the nervous system to explode and accelerate. But in terms of. Uh, Mimicking the movement patterns, I wouldn't think so itself. Mm. But to, to answer your question, yeah, it, it will help you become more explosive, um, <laughs> be, get you to, to be faster as well, and to also train that, uh, I guess, your, your high threshold motor units, your fast-switch muscle fibers, your larger muscle uh, right. motor units and muscle fibers.
Right. So yeah, to answer your question, yes, but in terms of functional functionality of movement patterns, I wouldn't say so myself. Yeah. Um, so, Nick, before you were uh, you were training for performance, and I guess you can train you were training for strength and uh, um, absolute strength, relative strength, and explosiveness for for martial arts <coughs> and wrestling. Um, yep. Nick Mann was also uh, second in line for the Commonwealth Games in freestyle wrestling, ladies and gentlemen. So, don't let his humility. Uh, <laughs> Mask his uh, many talents and achievements. <laughs> um, you're now currently into pro wrestling, right, Nick? So your training That's programs right. have been modified somewhat. What are your goals now in terms of into S and C training? In terms of uh, right. so hanging up the geese and uh, the, the gloves. Donning the mask. Yeah. yeah. That's right. So um, going from amateur to the pro leagues, professional. Right? That's where the career really skyrockets. <laughs> Max, I got my manager, the Australian wrestling legend Cracker Jack, on the phone to Vince McMahon. Triple H every day, going to be in WrestleMania any day. WWE, here we come. I'll, I'll be there for the ride. They're ready to embrace snuff, Paul. Yeah. Um, so since I've embarked on that journey, I've always wanted to be bigger. Growing up on you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger, yep. Jean-Claude Van Damme, all those cool guys. Uh, so now I'm all about ultimate size and strength. Uh, less about conditioning, because I don't, I don't enjoy conditioning as much now as I used to. So I like to focus more on um, heavy, heavy compound movements, mostly with a barbell. I'd say about 90% of my training is done with a barbell now, with just the major movements. So you squat, bench, deadlift, overhead press, mm -hmm. row. So you're more focusing on, uh, I guess you can say, functional hypertrophy, Nick? Yeah, functional hypertrophy, but also getting as strong as physically possible, yeah. which is never-ending. It's funny because you spend your whole life trying to get stronger, then inevitably, <clears throat> as you get older, you get weak, and then you die, and then yeah. all your gains are lost. Um, that goes, again, you gave me a nice little uh, philosophical, I guess you could say, analogy regarding the insane pursuit of getting stronger and stronger, and when you achieve those goals, you have to get stronger again. So explain to, explain to the audience uh, what you meant by that concept. Oh, it's just um, it's a notion of absurdity in our training, That's right. I guess, that you know, you're never strong enough from the moment you pick up a barbell. You're never going to be strong enough, so you're lifting weight to be able to put on more weight, lift it, then put it back down again in this endless strength pursuit when um, eventually you get injured or you just get old. And yeah. as you get old, there is no way to maintain your strength. Uh, even if you're an enhanced athlete, that'll just shorten your life expectancy. But, uh, you know, we do it anyway, right? Because you've got to do something with all your time. Exactly. Some people do yoga. Some people do jujitsu or swimming or something. Um, they're just more... Easy going. <laughs> it's easier. It's yeah. boring. It's less fulfilling. Funny you mentioned that because um, one of my uh, the greats that I've been following the last ten years or so since yeah. I started my SNC career was the great Charles Poliquin, and oh, yes. he talks about I guess the four earthly elements and how that also correlates and corresponds towards in each individual's uh, I guess you could say neural makeup or right. neurotype. Or, you know, Christian Thibodeau uses the word neurotype, but. Yeah. Um, when you talk about the neural makeup. Um, in other words, you have your fire type, which is which likes to do explosive movements, which likes to do you know heavy based, so you know kind of violent based explosive movements. You have your your earth types, who is uh, in between the fire type, um, and also the water type as well, which is more of your you know your easy free flowing yoga, yoga, Pilates, you know, Pilates. and these people don't like to be. Uh, to be pushed that hard, they like to, to be, <laughs> <laughs> they're just different, mate. They're, they're <laughs> different neuro 
neuromuscular makeup. Sorry, not neuromuscular. I said neural makeup. In other words, oh, okay. their, their brain slightly wired differently to the chemicals of the brain. This is anecdotal. It's anecdotal, it's yes. Okay. So that's the thing about Charles Poliquin. He has a lot of anecdotes that, of course, they haven't been all uh, backed with empirical scientific research and studies, but they do have some validity because, in, in other words, a lot of people resonate with them. Right. <laughs> right. Um, and then he has another one. I think it was, I think so. That's Earth, uh, Earth, Water... Wind. Uh, wind. I wind. think it was the wind Captain type. Planet. Remember? Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, so it talks about um, each person's personality, behavior, right. um, and uh, the way they're made up. It's got to do with, you know, and what kind of trained right. likes to do. So do in other you words, find this consistent with your clients? Oh, definitely. I use this concept quite a bit, and I also tie this in very similarly to uh, Christian Thibodeau's neurotype. Yeah. Yeah. So in other words, I have some clients that love to lift heavy um, and love to... <laughs> you know, to be explosive in their movements. And I have a lot of clients that don't like to work that hard. Now, Polokun talks about these, you know, these water types. They don't like to work that hard. Uh, they don't like to be in pain because if you do try to push them past that boundary, it's actually going to have a negating effect. In, in which case, you know, if, if, if beginner Bob likes his yoga and he's a, he's a water type and you push him towards fire type movements like heavy explosive, you know, deadlifts or tie flipping right. or hammer, or, you know, uh, hammer work, it's actually going to cause increased levels of stress and cortisol, which in, which in turn is going to negate beginner Bob's actual progress. How so, so you mean psychologically? Psychologically. So in other words, if you put your client in a negative psychological state while training, in other words, under high duress and stress, it's actually going to start to elevate cortisol and negate the actual desired effect of that training program, whether it be to get them leaner right. or potentially to get them stronger. Right. Yep. But... Can't you force them? <laughs> like fold them, cram them into fight. Because say, beginner Bob, yeah, um, he starts getting stronger from doing heavy lifts. He starts looking better in the mirror. But the thing is, he's not going to enjoy those heavy lifts in the first place. So you, you may be able to push him those heavy lifts, but right. he won't be getting the results and I guess the satisfaction that he will be getting if you were to ease him into it slowly. Doesn't mean that you, you take him off strength training altogether. You just have to ease him into it. Right. You have to really ease him into it. Kind of to trick him to thinking that he's, uh, you know, keeping it nice and easy. But then that's where you kind of, as a coach, you need to kind of create that psychological, I guess, not manipulation, that, that, that curveball where you you trick them into getting him to do things that you want to do because you know it's for their best benefit. Right. Yeah. It's, like a little, <laughs> it's a little bit from what they want and from what you want out of it. Okay, be careful where you apply that rule. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so I always try to understand my client's behavior, personality, and therefore the neurotype, right. and try to modify my training accordingly. <coughs> mm. Yeah, I see. Yeah. Well, that seems like a smart approach. Well, it is, you know, amongst other things. But then, of course, we look at their, their basic physiological profile, their orthopedic profile, their, 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 their structure, you know, their, their kind of uh, any kind of imbalances, you address that first. Yep. Then you address their psychological behavioral makeup. Then you adjust training plan accordingly. So, for instance, um, if I have someone that is more of a, a fire-type explosive, uh, Christian Thibodeau talks about the 1A and 1B. Right. These people don't like to do that much mobility. These people don't like to stretch that much. Not that I think that stretching is a great pursuit altogether because a lot of scientific research and studies have shown that stretching is just going to increase chances of potential pain. And because all it does, it, it uh, makes you think like you're feeling better, but it doesn't actually change the physi physiological yes. yeah. um, Makeup of the structure of the muscle itself. Um, stretching is not going to make you feel better because it you know, decreases the neurological, I guess, uh, the neural pathways from the 
It gives you the, the brain to pain, right? Yeah. So you feel good afterwards. It's like jacking off or eating ice cream. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right? Not necessarily good it's for It's good you. for you, but it makes you feel better at that point of time. Yeah. Then really guilty afterwards. Yep. Okay. And the mechanical receptors and the receptors in the, in the muscles send you, decreases the reception from the, the receptors to the brain and right. makes, it makes you feel better. But it doesn't actually physically change the structure of the muscle itself. Right, I see. Very good. Thank does that make sense? In other words, yes. It certainly does. Makes you feel better and doesn't, doesn't do shit. <laughs> so we prefer mobility. Right. Now, um, if I have a client that loves to stretch and, and like he, he's a, he or she is a big believer in yoga, then by all means, I'm not going to stop them from stretching because it makes them feel good. So putting them in that positive psychological state will increase levels of potential <coughs> dopamine in their brain, which yep. will enable them to, I guess, you know, decrease levels of cortisol and have a better biochemical effect during that training session. Would you agree, Nick? And putting that be in better biochemical state will in turn allow better progress. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know what I'm trying to say? Yeah, so, um, so yeah, you have to kind of look that in into the perspective altogether, mate. Yeah. yeah. What are your thoughts on that kind of stuff? Is, am I going too deep into this? No, no it's all... It's all well and good. I can't say I do too much, but I just force everyone into the same box. Yeah, yeah. Um, and of course, it'll, it'll enable you to have better client retention as well. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. yeah. Um, which is something that I guess you know, I'm, I'm pretty proud of myself. I haven't. Have you ever had a client walk out of a session? Never <laughs> walk out of a session. Never. I had a client. Um, I've actually ghosted a few clients a few times because I didn't like their behavior type. I didn't like their personality, and uh -huh. they're downright annoying. Right. Um, so I've never actually had a client walk out of me. I've had a client. I've had one or two clients quit um, mid session. No, no, no. They, they didn't want to <laughs> renew their package. Um, yep. For some very uh, trivial reason. Yeah. You know, for some fickle reason. But I've never had anyone walk out. You know. So I have to say that professionally, I've, You've I've done right. standards. Yeah. <laughs> I've, I've tried to, man. Like you know, I have to lead by example. You know, I'm, I'm lecturing and teaching <clears> students <throat> and teaching them how to become better coaches and PTs yeah. and yeah. and uh, have to force myself. How about yourself, Nick? Any, any uh, clients walk out on you? Yeah, I've had a few. Huh? <laughs> Tell us! Tell us! <laughs> I've had a few clients walk out, yeah. Um, so the most memorable one, I was taking a class at a commercial gym. Ah, okay. Nick loves a commercial gym scene. <laughs> it was a big class. Idiots. We're doing um, a plyometrics class. I'm going to further details of the bad things about that. Mm. But it was a very large woman. <laughs> a very large woman. And the whole thing about being in these commercial gyms is they don't so much want a trainer, they want a motivator. So yeah. they want you yelling at people the whole time. Not negative things. Absolutely, you can't say no or don't ever. All oh, positive wow. things. Yeah. But you're always on them to make sure that they're yeah. constantly working. Not everyone likes Man, this. Man, yeah, exactly. You, know, yeah. You, you can't just have the one approach to every single freaking class yeah. because if your class is you know, encompassing a certain behavior type, you need to make sure you cater to that behavior type by adjusting your... Behavior accordingly. But they also, at uh, places like this, mm. um, they have a culture. And if you don't fit into that culture, you can actually get booted out. Really? Yeah, yeah. yeah I've, I've, I've noticed. Yep, yeah, I've noticed. Yes. And uh, this rather large woman didn't like the way I was motivating her and uh, stormed out of class. And, oh, wow. Um, had similar things at that particular gym as well. What, what do you mean? So like. you weren't happy enough for her, so she walked out? No, no, I don't think she liked being sort of told what to do or... Having someone on them the really? whole time, yeah, constantly motivating, and yeah. other people like that, like at that same place, have had a similar. Um, I had similar yeah. experiences with some people just not liking it. Like, yeah, maybe it's a bit too full on for that's, some people. That's the thing, you know. You can't like when it comes to training, when it comes to communication, there is no blanket approach. 
you have to continually modify accordingly. And yes, as a coach, you will start to naturally attract clients that are very similar to yourself in terms of their, their mindset, in terms of their behavior, in terms of their personality. Yeah. But then you, when it comes to a class, you, you have to continually modify a class. It's like as you would modify for a normal PT or, you know, it's, I think it's based <coughs> common sense. Um, that's why, you know, personally, I'm against the commercial gym scene because uh, yeah, it's just a big well. money-making scam. And to be honest, we've seen our, our lack of competence in this scene. Big time. Big time. Jesus Christ. I mean, I mean, they barely even screen for clients. They don't really assess. They just want to go in there and get their money. And uh, Yep, exactly. Now, this comes to the next point that I like to live by, ladies and gentlemen. It's any idiot can make someone tired. Not anyone can make someone better. That comes from Martin Rooney. Um, he's, he's quite well established himself. <coughs> but yeah, that's, that's a big saying, you know, just because you feel like you're sweating, just because you feel like you've, if you've done something, doesn't necessarily going to improve. Right. So it's, it's that, I guess, a balancing act between making them feel good, but also giving them the right program <clears throat> that enables them to be better, whether it be stronger, whether it be to be leaner, or whether it be to be more, you know, whatever right. it may be. Yeah. Absolutely. So, yeah. Um, so comes to our next point, well, ladies and gentlemen, uh, Nick is also a big believer in. Love all that. No, no, no. <laughs> what? 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 We were talking about the fact that uh, certain kind of coach have certain kind of training methods. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, what What methods resonate with you, Nick? What kind of trainers re resonate with you? Um, all this sort of levels you go through. So, of course, you need mobility. Yep. To be able to do things. I really like the overhead press. It's my mm. favorite movement. But, of course, not everyone has the mobility to do yep. that. Um, a lot of desk workers and that kind of thing, rounded shoulders, kyphotic, all that jazz. Yeah. So, of course, people need to have the right mobility for these movements first. But <clears throat> once you have mobility, then you have to look at yes. stability. Right. Through the joint as well to be able to exactly. support a bar overhead. But first thing there. first, you need to have any you have some kind of screening process, a cement process for your clients, right? right? And like we learned in uh, school one hundred and one, <laughs> if you're not assessing, you're just guessing. Yeah, that's so you got to assess them first, right, Nick? Would you believe in that? And a lot of these commercial gyms don't even physically assess or physically assess their clients. Let them do straight into the basic template program. Bang, bang, bang. If here we go. Yeah, um, I can't say I'm a big fan of assessing. Why is that? Uh, I think it's a bit of a time waste, not so much a time waster, but um, <clears throat> I think with some clients, at least in my experience, if you tell them right up, the, like straight away, what's wrong with them, mm. you say like, oh, you know, your shoulders are really rounded, so you can't do this. Uh, so we've got to do A, B, and C before yeah. we can do D. Yeah. Um, they might just say, uh, you know, I won't do it then if it's going to take that much work. I like to see how people move through um, how they squat, how they can hinge, how they can lunge, mm. how they do push-ups, how they do a basic row. And I think that's a good way to assess people rather than giving them a broomstick and going yeah. the back scratch of the overhead squat or yeah. that kind of thing. But you do, you it's do. not as accurate. I'll give yeah. you that. It's not as accurate. Um, but I think it's a nicer way to do it. And you sort of uh, bypass a few things by doing that. However, if, if they do present like a major red flag like pain, that's when you know that something oh, is wrong. Yeah, then you, you take a... You know, you pull the thread there. Yeah, and then you, you refer yeah. out. Okay, if in doubt, refer out. <laughs> and I like to think my training methods and Nick's training methods are very comprehensive in the, in the fact that we do take our care and due diligence <clears throat> to uh, maintain our client's best interest. That's right. Um, I mean, we are we are literally playing with people's bodies here. That's right. We to care. We care. Exactly. We do care. Um, Nick, tell, tell us something about uh, yeah. your, your injury 
your, your previous injuries um, and how you've managed to uh, overcome them? Um, and I, also increase your deadlift and your squat and your bench press. It's <laughs> very important. My yeah. most recent injury I sustained um, when I was in a wrestling tour in Japan. And I was training with the promoter of the show and um, he performed a standing scissor sweep. You know, like the one Kung Lee uses? Fuck where that. they jump up. That, that's, that's, that is a He's a big guy. Exercise. He's yeah. a big guy. And he sort of hit me kind of low. And I was supposed to fall down take a back bump. Mm. But for some reason, I just, being a bigger guy, I thought I'll stand here and take it and hold Jeez. it. Um, and my knee went inwards and I just heard a loud snap. And God, what was the... What was the uh... It was a complete grade three rupture. Wow. MCL. So I remember immediately after, there was no pain at all. There was no swelling. I just tested it out with a few squats. And if I pushed my knee inwards, there was absolutely nothing stopping it. Mm -hmm. It's a really gross feeling. Kind of scary as well. So I was there for another two weeks after that. Still wrestled on it. Wow. Managed. It was a good match. Um, but it was just completely gone. When I saw a physio there, he strapped me up. Said I had to go get an MRI. I couldn't afford an MRI there in Japan. So he strapped me up and um, gave me a brace. And I was able to wrestle on it for another three, four months. Yeah, but when I got back to Melbourne and got scanned, um, they wanted to recommend an orthopedic surgeon. I know if you, as soon as you see a surgeon, they want to cut you open. Yeah, um, and I didn't believe I needed that because I could still squat. I couldn't deadlift because my hamstring was kind of inflamed. Mm -hmm. um, but I attended one of the Andrew Locke Sebastian Orb seminars on the squat. Tell us, which is all about how you can stabilize the hip using. Um, Hip stabilizers such as the glute med. Yeah. Whereas before that, I always thought it was the VMO, but apparently there's no such fucking thing as a VMO. Which is funny because whenever I saw um, a physio, whenever I saw a physio, yeah, uh, they said you've got to strengthen your VMO, and that was immediately a red flag to me, saying that they don't know what they're doing. Yeah. So um, I did a lot of hip work, just banded glute work, shitload of clams, a lot of body weight squats until I was able to put a bar on my back. I didn't wait that long, probably yeah. a week, and um really got stronger in my squat and actually came out of it. I went in, I had a, always had a pretty weak squat. It was about 170 mm. and I came out with a 190 squat. And then when I was able to go back to deadlifting, I actually got much stronger through it, just through all the additional work I did. Yeah. Which is what, um, it's something uh, Dr. Locke says, is the gift of injury, right? Because then you've yeah. got to address all these weaknesses. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it enables you to highlight the weakness that you have and having to address that will That's make your overall structure stronger, enable you to be able to transfer force yeah. more efficiently with less chance of injury. Yeah. yeah, there's always opportunity with injury to work around. You always work around. You never stop training. Mm. Unless you're bedridden, sick. Yeah. You always move. That's yeah. that's the key to um, rehab. I think that's a, that's a thing as well. A lot of people focus on what they can't do. They don't focus on what they can do. And that's not just when it comes to training. It also comes into their life as well. Now, let's not get too philosophical here. But, uh, you know, same as in martial arts, right? You know, as fighters, we are taught we are taught to to be keep fighting back and to even keep fighting when your back's against the wall. And uh, <laughs> yep. which comes to my next point actually <coughs> is that a lot of people are just you know making a generalization here, but they focus on what they can't do during these COVID times rather than focus on what they can do. Yep. Right? I mean, we can still train with body weight, we can still, you know, with your housemate drill those techniques and bench press them. Yeah. And bench press them if you like. But uh, I guess you, you need to focus on what you can do and keep fighting. Yeah. Well, it's funny. I've been hit up by people <clears throat> asking for equipment. Of course, I don't have any equipment. It's mine. You can't have it. <laughs> um, oh, you know, I want to do a chest workout. Well, my question is then how many one-arm push-ups can you do? Is it mm. none? Then work on that. Work yeah. on your pistol squat. Yeah. Well, I was in The Naked Warrior by Pavel Tatsu and that he's all about you can build ultimate exactly. strength with um, the one-handed push-up in the single leg squat. Mm. 
I mean, I'm a big believer when it comes to um, absolute and relative strength. In order for you to get proper strong, you need to be able to, one, move and manipulate your own body weight, and two, master your body weight, you know, before you can load, all right? right? Yeah. So getting you to be strong with your own body weight will enable you to become, you know, more stable, again, may become, have a better mind-to-muscle connection, better, you know, neuromuscular patterns, and, you know, enable you to be able to have load, yeah. to be able to yeah. absorb load better. Yeah. So you'd be able to control your body weight first. So I was a big believer in body weight training, and that was what I was doing for the good part of, of six, seven, eight years when I was doing judo, between the age of twelve and twenty. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I started to learn how to do the major lifts with proper proper coaching. But I did realize that my my poor bench press technique and my improper um, overload periodization methods caused me <laughs> to have injury. You know, I had a bad calf shoulder impingement, yeah. and that's how I learnt about uh, rehab, prehab, and the importance of uh, proper programming. Um, but yes, in, in today's COVID times, uh, a lot of people don't understand that they can have an excellent workout. Yes, you yes. may not be able to get the intensity or the, the, the weight needed in the bar to progress and get you that much stronger, but you can at least maintain. Yeah, right? that's right. Yeah. Um, how, how does it feel for you, Nick, um, being an avid lifter who likes to lift, to lift heavy um, and a martial artist who loves to train, or, but not, not as a martial artist now, but as a pro wrestler in, in these COVID times? Uh, well, I'm lucky enough I still have the benefit of being able to train in um, the studio that I work at. Mm-hmm. Of course, we run online the, uh, online classes there at Mish's Boxing Central. That's where it's going now, it's Zoom, yeah, right? It's, yeah, Zoom it's, online it's on training Zoom at the moment. So I'm lucky enough that I'm still able to train. Uh, I can still use my barbell. What I do miss is wrestling. I'm not being able to do my Irish whips, my headlocks, my suplexes. <laughs> that is a bit Camel of a clutches. But um, it's strange. It's like, oh, well, you know, we're all in this together, which makes it somewhat durable to mm. think that um, everyone's suffering. Yeah. Yeah. Thinking about someone else suffering makes me feel better because mm. I know people are going through worse. Mm-hmm. And um, that's a terrible thing to say. Exactly. So the only way I feel better is thinking about other people's suffering. So, yeah. you know, kids are dying of AIDS in Africa, and that makes me feel better. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Not to mention that, you know, these... These COVID numbers are very, very inflated, but that's neither here or there, guys. <laughs> um, but the, like over here. But long story short, we you know we're all under lockdown, isolation, quarantine, and it sort does, of. you know, for those that have lost their employment, it does cause a negating psychological effect, yes. especially for martial artists and professional martial artists, and you know, up and coming, you know, martial artists, MMA fighters, jutsu guys, boxers. Uh, wrestlers, that their livelihood and a big part of their life is that martial arts sport, not being able to do that for such a long period of time. Yeah. It does cause a psychological uh, byproduct. Don't you, right. don't you agree, Nick? Yeah. So, so um, I'm getting a little cooped up, but um, like I said, fortunately, I still can use mm. weights. If you're at home, you can still work on your one-handed push-ups. Yeah. You can go outside, do sprints, yeah. you know, run up and down the stairs in your building. Um, I don't know, you can fight someone. <laughs> Speak a fight with your neighbor. Hey, get out of here. That's it. Yeah. There's, uh, you know, there's still things you can do. And um, there's also uh, lots of weed you can smoke. Um, that helps. And drinking alcohol helps uh, some people. I, I do not take any legal uh, responsibility. <laughs> Will doesn't condone this, but I do. I don't condone his behavior. But uh, I don't like drinking too much because it makes you retain water. Yeah. It makes you a bit weaker. But, um, it makes me bloated. Make, yeah, it makes Give me, me bad guts. feel like garbage the next day so yep. you can't lift. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, all the other good stuff, go for it. Yeah. Enjoy yourself. So, look, personally... Um, I used to train jiu-jitsu almost every day, and for me not being able to roll, you know, even once, 
uh, and get a good sweat on and you know pull a yeah. submission, it's really psychologically affected me. Uh, so which is why now I've kind of focused more on, again, the good thing about being in this kind of time is it gives you a lot more time to focus and fix up all your injuries as well. Right. So I always tell my clients that, that, that do combat sports uh, that, yes, we can't really overload that, you know, that deadlift, make you that much stronger and that much more powerful, but we can start to address your imbalances. And these <coughs> times are the perfect times for, you know, to do these I guess you could say prehab and rehab exercises. Right. And right. to make sure you get back on the mat stronger than before. So this these times are not an excuse to get fat and sit in your ass and get weaker. <laughs> if if not if if you don't maintain, at least at least, you know, try to keep moving. Right. Because uh, yeah. So it's all about keeping strong and keeping moving. That's right, absolutely. Um, uh, just to end the ne next few minutes, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Nick, what are your thoughts? Yeah. Yep. My thoughts on virtual training and, and, and Zoom Zoom training. Um, well, it's the best we've got at the moment. Yeah. Right. Saying we've got to keep moving. Yeah. You can't just stop and put everything on pause. Yeah. Um, yeah. Absolutely. Do you uh, Do you agree? In terms of martial arts, in terms of martial arts, direct using Zoom Zooms is. Uh, yeah, well, you know, it's important to support the place that you trained at. Just yes. so when all this yes. is over, you've still got a fucking place to exactly, train at. Exactly, Otherwise, there'll just be no one there. Exactly. And then you'll really be fucked. Yeah. But, um, yeah, absolutely. You can you can still learn a lot from Zoom. I know the classes we take, it's just people still getting yeah. pretty good work at it. Yes, good, excellent, excellent. Learning the skills, getting better at shadow boxing. Yeah. Body weight, mastering the body weight, all this kind of thing. So, yeah. of course, there's lots to be had there. Exactly. So, I, I guess Zoom presents us a good opportunity um, of online training which allows which allows you to move around and at the same time to support your club so that's right that's right people don't understand how much risk um a martial arts or a dojo actually takes right you know a lot, a lot of your instructors are full-time instructors that have quit their full-time job and committed their whole life and their livelihood right. on the dojo itself so when something like covid hits and it permits them from being able to you know to, to train their athletes and their and, and also potentially make a make a living. Yeah, it actually help, affects them quite a bit. You know, not only financially but also psychologically as well. Yeah, that's so we right. want to be able to show your support and uh, keep <coughs> keep everyone fighting the good fight. You know, physically and mentally, especially in these times. Yeah, that's right. Um, so, ladies and gentlemen, that is coming towards the end of our first. Did you record it? It, it is getting recorded right it's now. Recorded. It is recorded right now, and it is exactly thirty eight minutes twenty three seconds. Um, Anything else you want to? Any pearls of wisdom? Any pearls of wisdom? Yes, the pearls of wisdom is always try to give value, okay? To give value to your students, to give value to your clients, because that in turn is what's going to make you successful, right? It's not about how smart you are, how fucking technical, how many medals you win. It's about how much value you give to each individual. And that's not only my philosophy in mind, but it's also a... Uh, a business model that 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 has helped me succeed in the industry for for so long and maintained. I guess I me, mean, I I have only lost one or two clients in the last three years, so maintained a good client retention <coughs> record as well. But like anything else, it's not about what uh, what they can do for you is what you can do for them. Right. right. Not what people can give you is what you can give them and provide for them. Anything else, Nick? No, I think I'm done. So, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening to our first episode. Thanks. Thanks of Geese, Weights, and T-Bone Steaks. 
Tune in to our next segment. We, we may or may not have a special guest <laughs> with us. This is Will Max and Nick Mann signing off. Have a good evening, Goodbye. good day, and uh, speak to you soon.